Hello and welcome to episode 113 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. This week, we are joined by Chris Reed, the executive director of the LAFC Foundation. Brand new six months on the job is going to catch us up on all the charitable works around the black and gold community. Joining us as our opponent correspondent this week for the Galaxy is Josh Guessman from at Galaxy Podcast. You can follow them on Twitter and Instagram. Keep all your tabs on what's going on in the city of Carson. But first and foremost, I would like to welcome the co-hosts of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, Christopher Sines and Christian Aparicio. Gentlemen, good evening and welcome. Nice to talk to you, Jonathan and Chris. Still kind of getting over this delicious win 4-2. It was shaky at first, for sure. And we'll talk more about that. But, you know, at the end, we got the results and that's what it's been so far in this young season of ours. You know what, guys? We got the W. We played, we drove, we flew, we came back. It's Derby Week, boys. And we did not have that match where we messed up and faltered on because our eyes were set on the bigger prize, which is this weekend, April 9th at 4.30 in Stinky Carson. No, no. It is Derby Week, boys. We won this last week. We're going to win again. I feel it. I feel it. I love it. All right, so let's go ahead and dive into the game versus Orlando. We've already sort of briefly touched on it and teased a little Galaxy talk we'll have later in the show. But first and foremost, we went to the Mouse House and we took them down 4-2. to two. It was a wacky game, a back-and-forth game throughout the course of the first half. There was some interesting things that took place throughout the course of this game, to say the least, although LAFC in the second half came out with two unanswered goals to take it home 4-2. to two. There's a lot to unpack because... As much as there was some great stuff in this game with four goals being scored and some of them electric golazos, but there was also some ugly stuff that took place in this game as well, too. Some stuff that we definitely have to button up before we make that drive 20 miles south to the city of Carson and and plug our noses for 90 minutes. But gentlemen, let's go ahead and unpack this game because I certainly have some thoughts on it, but I want to hear it from our tactician first, Christian. Can you go ahead and tell me what did I just see in Orlando? Yeah, it was a crazy match. Uh, it had all the makings of a kind of a trap game. Chris kind of mentioned it, a, a big match this week. But, you know, we had to take care of business the, the previous week, which was with Orlando. Not only was that one of the challenges, we also had the international break. We had multiple players not here, having to travel quite a bit to make it to Orlando. Some of them had to go direct. So we didn't have our normal starting 11. We had some injuries. We had Cheeky. We had Hollingshead playing on the right side at this time. So it was just, it was just an interesting game before the game started. And then once the game did start, it was kind of this jockeying back and forth to be able to see who could play better. And the interesting thing to me, at least for the first 10, 15 minutes was LAFC was not able to possess the ball and Orlando looked really, really good. And it's funny because I was I was actually in San Diego. Um, my wife had a work event. So I had a VPN and I was watching it on the ESPN Plus and I was listening to the Orlando broadcast. And the interesting thing from the Orlando broadcast was that they were really impressed with the way they were playing, but they also did mention this team has the makings of if LAFC gets one or two chances on the break, they can hurt us. And no joke, like one or two minutes later, that's exactly what happened. So very, very back and forth first half. And we'll talk about the goals, but I also thought that the weather was super kind of crazy. It started off humid and nice, but then super rainy and nasty. 
which I think made some of the passing a little bit messier than it would have been if the rain had not come down. It seems like the the times that we go and play in Orlando or in Florida for that matter, it's 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 weather that's not necessarily ideal. It's weather that makes the game and match a little bit harder to play. The ball doesn't fly true. Wind, uncomfortable conditions, but our boys came through. They did a solid effort. And honestly, you know, the back and forth action in the first half, you know, I felt like I didn't see our club get discouraged. And I think that in previous seasons, there have been times where we might have let in a goal or an equalizer. And you kind of see that the motivation and the get up in the club is kind of just not there. And I think that we did very well to not get discouraged. We came out in the second half. It looks like we had made a couple of changes. And uh, we were able to pull through and get some really nice goals. All right. So as right as I was on our previous episode about predicting the scoreline, I will admit I got this one completely wrong. I, too, felt this was going to be an Admiral Akbar moment for us, that we would be looking ahead to Galaxy and get caught in this trap game. And frankly, we played poor enough in the first half defensively to have given away more than we did just the two. I think we were fairly fortunate that the rain stifled some of that passing especially inside the box on the offensive end for Orlando otherwise the scoreline could have gotten out of control and out of control early as it was both goals that we gave up were some pretty egregious defensive errors you have John Moutinho who is in an acre of space inside the box that had you know I think as as Max Bredos put it time to make a sandwich before you know he sat down and shot that's far too much space to be given to a player and then Pato on the first goal completely unmarked inside the box that is That is not the person you leave unmarked in the box. And I hope that is not harrowing of our game we're coming up that has, you know, one of those players that likes to hide inside the box and get on the end of passes. Uh, So something we definitely need to button up on the defensive end. On the offensive end, however, that first goal, my goodness, my goodness. Vela fires a perfect, perfect pass down onto that left wing to Chicho who sees B-Rod storming down for the back post, puts an one-touch perfect pass in and a one-touch shot on goal. I mean, those three touches in a row from Vela to Chicha to B-Rod to the top of the net. Wow. Golasso. Golasso. Sensational stuff. But if you look at some of the other goals we scored, it was the result of really poor clearances by Orlando cleaning out their own defensive end. And in a game where it wasn't raining, where those players were able to get purchase on those balls, I, I don't think those second and third goals happened because the clearances probably would have happened. And frankly, it had Orlando been a, a little more diligent in their clearances. But then the fourth goal was, you know, I mean, a breakaway counter because Orlando was pressing for that goal late to try and tie the game. So I, to me, I mean, it's great to win four to two, but I did not see a fantastic performance from LAFC, and I certainly saw some holes open up throughout the course of the game. I agree with you. I think defensively, some of the clearances and what ended up happening in the 18th minute was where Raito was trying to break up one of their kind of offensive moves, where one of their center backs was attacking and barging forward, ended up costing them. We know this after the match that Antonio Carlos, who was taken off, ended up tearing his hamstring, which is unfortunate for him. And I know that... (laughs) Some of the Orlando faithful are really upset at Rayito. And I, I know that the tackle was a little maybe stronger than it needed to be, but I didn't, I don't, I'm sure there's never the intent to hurt someone in that way or cause an injury because of the tackle. Also, going back to what you mentioned, those three passes, I think that was some of our 
or two of our DPEs and our center forward, some of the highest class in terms of skill set. The vision from Vela, top notch. The the backspin he put on that driven ball to be in the path and it, it, to be able to slow down the ball to slow down in his path and then Chicho to have the vision to look up first time with a slight bend in the direction away from the goalie and towards Raito. Very impressive. And Raito didn't hesitate, didn't think, made the run, something that he hasn't done in years past, and then first time it into the roof. And the coolest thing to me, and it felt like a video game, was like watching those little droplets go off of the roof of the net. It was really, really cool to see. So that was one of the main takeaways. I think it's a really, really good uh, observation that you made in terms of the clearances. I think their defensive sloppiness gave us bailout goals. And at the half, we were lucky to be 2-2. I agree with you. And then I think that John Moutinho you know, scoring right before the halftime could have made us feel down. But I think we had a good game plan in terms of those substitutions. We still had Cifuentes in our back pocket. We had Opoku. We had Tajuri Shroudy. Like, think about that. So how can we not close out a game when we have a team that has an injured center back who doesn't have the same kind of quality off the bench? So our, I'm impressed with our firepower and our bench. Uh, that was my main takeaways from this match. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with that observation depth. The complete turnaround in this game and, and Orlando's inability to score in that second half was due to the substitutions. In, in one case that they had to make due to injury on an unfortunate play, there were you know, look, why is Raito kicking him in the knee? I mean, go for the ball at least there. But uh, had the player just gone down, he probably would have been fine. But he tried to fight his way through the challenge and extended that leg out toward the hamstring. That's that's brutal for Orlando. They're a team that looks so much better than any other Orlando squad we've seen in the past. And to see their really their key center back, their key defender go down is is unfortunate, and especially on a play like that. But you really touched on it, though, that depth in the second half when we're bringing in a Sifu and an Acosta off the bench and a Mahalo Poku. I mean, it just, there are not many teams in this league that go that deep. And that's really been the difference maker for squads in the past when we look to the great Seattle teams that have done so well in the postseason. It's just that the next man up is still fantastic. And, and we really saw that in this Orlando game. And I think that was a brilliant observation. Chris, you had some thoughts you wanted to share. I think that something that is just kind of coincidental, I guess I'll say. You know, it's that LAFC gives players the opportunity. You know, they transfer them out with Joao Moutinho and Tristan Blackman. They just let these players, they, they leave the club, whether it be through transfer or trade or what have you. And then you see these players who get an opportunity to go on and develop and play more minutes with these other clubs, but you see them coming and scoring against us. And it's one of those things where this isn't the first time that Joao Moutinho has scored a goal against us. He was the one that tied the match in the header for the, in the MLS's back tournament and which led then to the penalty kicks that we ended up losing and knocked us out of the tournament. And Tristan Blackman just scored when Vancouver came to play. It's one of those things where you look at these players and you would think that as an LAFC player, my resolve would be to say, I'm going to absolutely make sure that this player doesn't hurt us as a, as a sense of like revenge. And it's, it's just something to think, you know, is it the fact that their positions are defenders and the likelihood that they would score a goal off anything other than a set piece is not very likely. You know, I don't know. I just find it interesting. The fact that we continue to get scored on by players who used to be black and gold. Yeah. Mark Anthony K gave us fits at the end of last season 
seeing Walker Zimmerman in a wash, you know, in a Nashville Jersey is not a pleasant sight to see when he comes to the bank either. So you know, it's not definitely not the first time, probably not the last time we're going to face something like this in, in our own player coming back. John Matinu celebrated his goal. Tristan Blackman did not for, for whatever you take from that, but uh and any final thoughts on the match from you guys before we move on to other news and notes? Uh, mentioned of the team of the week, you know, everybody is rating our players. Well, it's rating them well. Murillo has been named to the team of the week. And of course, Steve Trendolo is now the coach for the team of the week. And on the bench was Ilya Sanchez, which by far, Ilya Sanchez has been the best player on our team consistently match in and match out. And what he does and being able to fill in that number six position, I think, has been one of the best things that we could have had because everybody was really concerned when Eduardo Atuesta was transferred. And uh, I think that everyone had seen the role that Edward played and how when he wasn't in the matches last season, how our team suffered. And to have a player like Ilya Sanchez, I just think is irreplaceable at this moment. Dude, that Sanchez goal was a screamer too. Ball probably never should have come to him if they'd have cleared their lines appropriately there. But when he got on the ball, I mean, I don't think anyone thought he was going to shoot. Every defender around him instantly retreated into a passing lane and left him wide open. And he hit an absolute rocket. I will say there's been a handful of goals that have been different than for comparison to the Bob era. I think these were more of anomalies. It's only the sample size of five games and there's been around the top of the box kind of shots. And it seems like LAFC's philosophy is not go out down the wings and try to pass it in with a, a cross shot. It's more of like let's get let's get the goals how we how we need to get them. If it's a cross, if it's a set piece, if it's if you have the opportunity to shoot top of the box, take your opportunity. And it doesn't matter who you are. You know, a bunch of the goals so far have been defenders. So right place, right time. Not necessarily bound to a specific way of playing. And it's just a different way of thinking with with Sharundalo and I'm interested to see how this continues to progress because I'm not going to say I didn't love the way we played with Bob this is different and it's been effective and you know at the end of the day that's what's going to be remembered if at the end of the season we're we're the most effective team in winning the cup yeah clean up a few things on the defensive end there were some positioning mistakes that were made there whether that's because you know we're using some squad rotation at the moment with Escobar out and uh you know, but there were just too many times in which a player was left wide open in the box. And, and you can't do that, especially not versus Chicharito. He will make you pay more on the Galaxy later. In addition to the team of the week news, uh, we had a couple other things we wanted to highlight real quick. 3252 memberships for the 2022 season are on sale. That money goes directly to support the community efforts, the in-game celebrations of so TIFOs, all of the great work the 3252 does in the community and helps get an accurate count of SG's population numbers. So we really encourage you to head over to 3252 Social and pick yourself up a 3252 membership. Even if you are not in an SG and you are somewhere else within the greater black and gold community, that membership can get you a big discount, 15% at HQ, can get you access to away day tickets and other fun stuff in a priority line. So that's all good stuff. Please support the 3252 and buy your memberships. In addition to that, the charitable donations for Moe's Court is still happening. So if you'd like to head over to the LAFC site, you can see links from virtually every supporters group as well, too, to donate directly 
to the Mauricio Fascio Futsal Court, Memorial Futsal Court. They're still a long way away from goal, and there's going to be a lot of things going on within the community to attempt to raise money for that. D9U is currently selling three different kinds of tequila to help raise money for Mo's charity. So if you want to buy yourself a bottle and help out Mo at the same time, you can head over to D9U social media to catch any of the info on that. Before we get into our interview today, Chris, our, our, our flag-waving patriot here, do you want to go ahead and fill us in on what's going on in El Mundial, a little World Cup news, amigo? Well, as you all know, I am a huge U.S. men's national team fan, Barra 76. That's my supporter group. And uh, I'm excited, you know. We had the final World Cup draw. The U.S. men's national team qualified. Mexico qualified. Canada qualified here from CONCACAF. Costa Rica is the fourth representative that is going to potentially get a spot in the World Cup, they're going to be playing against New Zealand. And uh, and then, of course, there's a couple of other play-ins. Ukraine, who is definitely a fan favorite right now with everything that's going on, they're going to be playing against Scotland. And the winner of that match is going to play Wales. And then that, that team is going to be the other team that's in the group with the United States. The United States has to play England. They have to play uh, England, Iran, and the potential winner of Wales, Scotland, Ukraine. What I find to be the most interesting was, of course... Rich Orozco had spent the time in Qatar over the last week, and he was there during the draw. And it was, you know, from the videos that he had shared, it was, it looked like it was an amazing experience, you know, and it was definitely one of those things. It's like a surreal moment. I got to briefly talk to him while he was there with uh, Benny Tran, LAFC Stadium Benny. And, uh, you know, he just said that it was, it was uh, an, an amazing opportunity and that he, Definitely thinking about going back to Qatar later this year for the World Cup. Yeah, I think it's interesting that two LAFC front office representatives are at the World Cup draw. Did you get any direct info from the man himself on what his what his plan is being over there? I saw him rubbing elbows with Drogba and Wanger and a bunch of other people while he was out there. Dio. Galaxy killer? No, no, no. There's uh, no specific information that was passed on to me. But I do also want to mention that LAFC, former players, current players that are going to be potentially seeing uh, on the world stage, of course, Kim Moon-Hwan potentially going to be representing Korea at the world stage. Diego Rossi had just started for Uruguay and... He uh, obviously was doing well enough at Fenerbahce for uh, Uruguay to give him his first call up and start. Brian Rodriguez is potentially going to be on that roster. Of course, we've got Chiqui Palacios and uh, Cifuentes that are going to be representing Ecuador potentially. Uh, Kellen Acosta for the U.S. men's national team with Walker Zimmerman. And then, of course, Maxime Cropot, Danielle Henry and uh, Mark Anthony Kay for Canada. So it's, it's going to be a great opportunity. You know, back in 2018, the timing of the World Cup. And I don't think that we had had anyone on our squad that had represented LAFC at, at the World Cup and so this will be the first time that we have that and it's just an exciting time to be an LAFC fan because it's the first for us I have a comment here so I know Rich is a networker I just heard a report that you cannot enter Qatar during the World Cup unless you have a ticket so you better make sure you're making the right contacts because there's, there's no casual arrival or travel as opposed to Russia and every other World Cup before that. Interesting take by the government of Qatar, but I guess it makes sense, especially if they want to keep it safe in these uh, kind of interesting times in the world. But um, Rich, 
hopefully you're meeting the right people out there to make sure that you got the ticket. You and don't make make sure you take Benny too. He's he's been putting up with you the last the last week or so. I mean, yeah, nobody it's... says no to Rich. He's getting in anywhere. I mean, there's no velvet rope that can hold that man back. Not nothing the Qatari government could or would do to stop Rich. They want him there. So I brought up I brought up to uh, my wife. I was like, hey, uh, what about uh, Qatar? My birthday, November. Let's do it. And Sandy goes, uh, isn't the World Cup coming here to the United States in four years? I was like, well, you know, it's a joint venture thing. It's not just the United States. And she's like, well, you can wait. You can wait. You're not going. You're not going to Qatar right now. And it was crushing. But at the same point, I totally understand four years. And then after that, in 2030, it's going to be the 100th anniversary of the initial World Cup. And I wonder where that's going to be. You know, there's some pretty interesting places that are bidding right now. The great thing about this World Cup is all the games are going to be in the middle of the day, right? Because it's played in the middle of the night in Qatar which means it's going to be like two o'clock in the afternoon here. It's a perfect game time. I'm, I'm all for it. It's going to be a fun World Cup. Uh, hopefully one of my many teams advances well beyond that. And, um, you know, you got your wish too, because Germany and the United States were not put in the same group. So now you get to be a fan of both until one or both uh, make it out of the group stage into the knockouts. Yeah, U.S. did not get the greatest of draws. I mean, Iran is a pretty good team. I think a lot of people are underrating them. Uh, whichever team comes out of the Ukraine, Scotland, Welsh contingency is not going to be a, a slouch of a team either. Then, oh, yeah, you've got England. They only invented the game and, you know, have a pretty darn good team as well, too. So I- I'm hoping we get second place in the group and ma- advance into the knockouts. And then, you know, you never know what could happen. I think a lot of it depends on the form the players are in. The U.S. squad has a lot of big pieces out injured right now. So, well, we're a long way from November. We'll see. Maybe that means they'll they'll be fresh. But uh you know, it's uh, it's not the group of death, but it's not the easiest of groups for the U.S. either. Germany, on the other hand, I mean, they have a group they should do well in. I'm, I'm very surprised they did not get put in the first pot. They got relegated to the second pot, which I know is not sitting well with all the Demonshaw fans uh, across Germany. So they've got they've got something to prove in this cup with the young squad. And I, I think, you know, the Demonshaw team might be looking pretty good. We'll see. I don't know if they have the likes to take down the the Frances and the other big teams of the world, but uh, they got a chance for sure. All right, guys, any more world cup? We've gotten completely off the rails here on this LFC podcast talking about world cup, but no, uh, any, any final thoughts on world cup before we move on? No, it's derby week, bro. We got to refocus in after this interview with Chris, we got to refocus in it's derby week. All right. Well, with that in mind, folks, we're going to take a quick, break and we will be right back with today's guest hey what's up everybody this is alexis guerreros i'm the fat guy on the cooligans you're listening to shoulder to shoulder podcast joining us now we have chris reed the executive director of the lafc foundation you can of course find them at lafc foundation or at foundation underscore lafc depending on which social media platform you're on but joining us right now coach chris welcome to the show Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me. Excited to be here tonight. Absolutely. You know, for those of us that uh, had the opportunity to listen to episode 70 when we had Alina on, you can hear about what the foundation's basis is. But now we've got a new executive director and we're looking forward to hearing what it is that Chris is going to bring to the LAFC Foundation and what the vision is for 2022 and, and beyond. Before we dive into the foundation, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So Chris Reed, I am a Washington, D.C. native. I grew up there. I've been in sports my entire life. I started working in sports at 13 years old, selling programs at college football games, 
I went to an HBCU in North Carolina. Um, I've worked for multiple sports teams as a full-time employee, but I've also worked for multiple teams, universities, and large organizations like Nike as a consultant, training coaches on trauma-sensitive training and sports-based development. I've moved to Los Angeles about three years ago, and I'm never moving away. It's the most beautiful city in the world, and I'm so blessed and happy to be here. So you relocate out to Los Angeles. Was that for LAFC, or when was the first time LAFC really crossed your radar? So no, I did not relocate for LAFC. I, I just needed a change of pace. I was coming out here a lot for consultant work and caught the bug. It came out here in December. It was... I was on the beach and it was really nice. And I went back home and it was snowing outside. So moved to LA. Um, I live in South Central. I actually live very near the stadium and I've passed it a multitude of times. And um, actually one of the middle schools that we have a futsal court at is in walking distance. And I, I saw the kids playing on it and I got a call about helping some sports team with their youth programs. And it ended up being LAFC and I haven't looked back since. You briefly mentioned some of the consulting that brought you out here to Los Angeles. Why don't you let some of our listeners know what it is the consulting that you do for We Coach? Sure. So first and foremost, We Coach is no longer. We are now renamed the Center for Healing and Justice Through Sport. We work with all sports organizations that face youth. So colleges, professional sports teams, nonprofit organizations, after school programs, um, your regular Pop Warner programs. We train coaches and provide a baseline in youth development with a trauma-sensitive lens. Most young people that come from neighborhoods of trauma and, you know, poverty have such a high level of just brain activity and things that are going on that the average person just doesn't really know how to deal with and how to support. And usually when kids have episodes where they act up, they're pushed to the wayside, they're cut from a team, they're asked not to come back. So we want to combat that from the adult level and help them understand how to support kids to rewire their brain so that when they come into these sports or come into these places, they feel safe, they're able to take risks, they're able to grow through the power of sports. So with that, we've worked with, uh, I've, I've worked with, you know, the Red Sox, the Cubs, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Dodgers. I've worked with a bunch of teams, the Toronto Raptors. Um, I've been all over the place, Chicago Bulls, spreading the gospel about trauma-sensitive training and helping coaches really make an impact in their communities long-term. Was it in this capacity that LAFC reached out or was it a kind of a different opportunity? Half and half. So I, I got reached out to by a friend who has a consultant firm of her own and she works with LAFC, but does not have programmatic experience. I have a wealth of program experience building programs for youth, youth sports and for professional sports teams. I used to work for the Washington Nationals. I worked there for six years. I built the Youth Baseball Academy there in 2013. I helped the Washington Wizards relaunch their junior Wizards program. And so she reached out, she said, hey, I'm working with this team, but I don't have youth programming experience. Would you want to come aboard and just kind of help out under me? It's kind of too late to bring We Coach in, which was We Coach at the time and now the, the center. And so I came aboard. I started um, working with LAFC in May of 2021 as a consultant, just supporting and helping out and trying to understand what they were doing in the community and uh, came aboard in October of uh, 2021 in this role. Do you feel that that experience that you've had with uh, reaching out to some of the youth that are at an, uh, uh, the high traumatic environments is beneficial for some of the kids that are, are in like the Breezy uh, youth leadership programs or in some of the other adjacent areas uh, in 
uh, in proximity to the bank? I think it's for every child. If I were a kid, I would want a coach that had this understanding, right? I come from these neighborhoods. I come from these communities as well. And um, it's super beneficial. It's the way to really make sure that kids are growing the right way in a sport environment. And a lot of times, especially when you're talking about neighborhoods of poverty, you may have one or two kids that make it out out of a group of what, 200? And then the rest of the kids, because they weren't exceptional in the sport, you know, nobody remembers those times where we're trying to make sure that, hey, all the kids are growing as human beings in the sport. And if somebody makes it to the next level, amazing. If they don't, no problem because they, they grew together, they grew in a safe space, they grew through the sport and they have a love for the sport moving forward. And so when you talk about Brazil and those type of kids, you know, we're able to impact them so that they'll always be lifelong fans of LAFC or always be lifelong fans of whatever team, whatever team sport that they play and they can learn to give back and it becomes a community instead of just helping a kid through a sport. Now they understand, hey, I can be a coach. I can have that impact. I can be the adult now in my community that gives back. So if any of our listeners, many of whom are in the same area, know a child that this program might benefit, where would they reach out to? And what would a day in the life of a student going through this program be like? The YLP program, I think it's amazing. And the reason I think it's amazing is because it provides young people an opportunity to have the impact on people that look like them, right? A lot of times we talk about providing coaching, we provide equipment, we provide this, that, and the third, but we don't provide somebody that kids can identify to. And so this is an opportunity for you to be able to identify a lane for yourself and your community to, to give back. Uh, you can re reach out to the Brazil Foundation, uh, pfbrazilfoundation.org, just to gather more information. Luke is amazing. Luke O'Quinn runs the program over there. Um, he really does a great job of pinpointing the need and placing kids where they can have the best impact. But the, on the back end, what people don't see is they're also building up these young people in this program with, you know, job readiness skills. I'm understanding like college may not be the option. You may go to trade school. You may you may get a government job. You may become a coach. You may have other options than college, 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 because we preach that to kids and then we put them in debt and then they don't know what to do. And so um, the Brazil Foundation is a great opportunity if you're a young person that, you know, you want to give back or you want to see change in your community, sign up, you know get involved and leave it up to people like me to raise money so that you can have the opportunity to join. You know, don't worry about the money or the opportunity. Let, let us adults figure that part out. I definitely recommend to our listeners to go back and listen to our interview with Luke O'Quinn and listen to our interviews with some of the YLP members tell their stories. That was, but for Christian and I, Chris, unfortunately could make it that day, but I know for Christian and I, that was one of the most powerful episodes we've ever recorded. And, uh, very, very cool stuff that's going on down there at the Brzee Foundation. So that's one really awesome aspect of the work you do for LAFC, but there's so many other pieces to it as well. Can you take us through kind of some of the other things that are going on that fans can get involved in? Sure. So um, one of the things we're doing right now that I'm really excited about is we're building capacity in the Watts community. So we have a, a week, weekend futsal program that happens in Watts every Saturday morning from nine till about 11.30 to noon on the futsal pitch at Drew Middle School that we built during All-Star Week last year. There's a futsal pitch, but there's also like a large, I mean, just a large field out there. So, you know, when I show up, I go up, I go every Saturday. You know, I'm not a paid coach, but I show up every Saturday to volunteer and support. And so we're, we're impacting the community on the pitch. The other thing that we're doing is we're partnering with a lot of organizations that already are established in these communities, such as um, City Year. So we're working with City Year to provide a mentorship program at Drew Middle School 
during the school year come this fall. So this fall we'll have on the pitch programming on the weekends and we'll have in-school programming five days a week before school, during school and after school. And what we really wanna do is wherever we go, wherever we provide program, we wanna build a holistic approach to helping kids to grow. You know, sport is one thing and I think sport's amazing, but there are a lot of other things kids are combating, especially coming out of COVID. And, you know, I've talked to principals, I've been to every school, we've built a futsal court at, and most principals say, hey, a lot of our kids are dealing with traumatic experiences in the home, they're bringing in the school. So how do we combat that? Well, City Year has a program where we're paying to make sure that they have staff members on hand to support kids who are having a tough day or a tough time or a rough year, um, whether it's social, emotional, academic, athletic, during school, after school. So we want to provide a blanket of support and safety and access. And we're starting with this model in Watts, and we're hoping to replicate that in different communities as time goes on. What other events can uh, some of the listeners get involved in? Or is there a way to engage or donate or contribute in any way? So right now, the foundation is really in the final stages of planning mode. I've been on a job about six months now, and we're really trying to build out a roadmap to where people can get involved. And one of the things we're excited about is the return of the gala. We're going to have a gala at some point this year. We're hoping it'll be this fall. We're also efforting to build out a golf tournament, you know, a golf tournament golf tournament to raise funds. I think that would be fun. Um, A lot of our ownership are golfers. A lot of our staff members are golfers as well. Um, But we're also looking to involve the community. And one of the things that I'm really excited about, and I'm fingers crossed guys that I get to pull this off, is we want to do like a community cup where we find sponsorships to pay for teams of first responders and teachers and grocery store workers who have given their all during the pandemic and give them opportunity to have an exclusive experience to play on a pitch that their favorite black and gold team plays on at some point, if not this year, early next year. And it'll be a fundraiser. We're also flirting with doing um, a supporter cup at some point in time. You know, we have a bunch of different supporter groups. And one thing I will say with my sports experience, I've worked in different cities. I've been to different games, playoffs, World Series. I have never witnessed anything like an LAFC match just the intensity, the energy, and the way our supporters support us, this would be a great opportunity for them to, to cut loose and have fun and play the sport and, you know, let us be their supporters for a change. And so we're building out, you know, our, our calendar for the year. From a donation standpoint, we're also working on launching 50-50 raffle this season for home matches. That would be the easiest way for our, our fans to, to donate. And each game will have a pinpointed cause that the, the funds will go to. And it's also a great way to, to gamble, hopefully win some money. You know, it's, it is 50-50. So whatever goes in the pot, you know, the winner walks away with half. We're also trying to revamp our, our auction items and our auction offerings so that they're more exclusive. And I think the one theme on the back house, the back end that I'm starting to understand more is that we have to provide exclusive experiences to our fan base for them to be more involved. So with our golf tournament, we want to find an exclusive course so that people who can't walk up and play at that course, they have an opportunity to play at that course because of LAFC. You know, we're going to have this cup. You're going to play on a pitch that's exclusive. It's not something you can just walk on and play every day. You know, and if you're going to be a part of our our raffles, you know, you had a chance to win some money. If you're going to be a part of our auctions, you have a chance to win something no one else has. You know, it's not going to be the same auction item next week or next match. So we're really building it out so that people get an exclusive experience from LFC, especially from the foundation standpoint. We're also, fingers crossed guys, before the season's over, we are also trying to get um, foundation scarves 
So um, hopefully those will be in the stores and you know those proceeds will go to the foundation as well. So just, we're doing a lot of planning. I think you'll see it mid season. You'll start to see more and more of the foundation because my, my biggest thing is if you're, if you're not a supporter or a consistent fan, you don't even know we have a foundation if you come to a match. There's no real conversation about a foundation. So we're trying to change the perception when the average fan walks in the door as well. Speaking of which, during matches, where can fans find your booth set up at? So currently we don't have a booth this season. And part of the reason why is because we're trying to get the 50-50 raffle up and running. And uh, once we figure out where the kiosk will go, that's where we'll be. I'm usually walking the, the course, I, I, the concourse. I, I meet as many people as possible. I'm, I'm here to shake, shake hands. I'm here to meet people. I always have business cards on me. I'm very approachable. I don't want anybody to think, hey, you know, if you have an idea for the foundation or you have some questions that you can't approach me, it's only James and I. So I don't expect you to feel like as a fan or just somebody that's interested that your, your thoughts aren't heard. I don't know if people can, are going to see this, but, you know, please, if you see me at a match, feel free to reach out or have a conversation. I'm open. I'm usually right at, at right where the 3252 is because it's the best view in the house to me if you're standing. So I'm usually there in that corner most matches, and I think we'll put the kiosk there as well. So we'll be over there every match. So um, when you say over by the 3252, do you mean which side of the 3252 would you be setting up on? If the pitch is in front of me, I'm on the right-hand side of the 3252 where that, that glass cutout is. I'm right there every match. Perfect. Thank you. Just so that fans could find you. You have certainly been a man that's worked for a lot of different sporting teams and sporting communities. What, in your opinion, sets LAFC apart from the other franchises that you've worked for or the other experiences you've had? What is it about LAFC? You, You expressed your sentiments about game day experience being different. But in the community and as an organization, what sets this team apart? It's so organic. You know, the relationship, the feel, it's extremely organic. No team that I've been a part of has had this type of impact without winning a championship, without having like the best player in the league, without having, you know, all these sports specific things. You know, people really care about the black and gold. People really care about the team. They care about what's happening. And the other thing that I really love is that supporter groups are heard. You know, I've been in, in meetings with front office staff and supporter groups. That's not the norm. That doesn't happen anywhere else. And so I think the organic nature of how the community and the team have come together. And, you know, we have staff members now who were hired when I was hired that were leadership 3252. And now they're on the other side. And that helps us understand better how to serve them. I I just think the model is set up to be a community-based team and a community-based franchise. And most franchises, their first thought process is how do we make revenue? How do we win championships? How do we, how do we get star players? And I think on, on our side, it's how do we build trust and loyalty and love in the community? How do we how do we be a great partner? How do we be a great neighbor? And those things have, have been so strong and organic. It makes my job easy. When people see me coming, I'll give you a story. I had this hoodie on last night. I ordered food. I went outside. The guy said, hey, man, it's free. You're an LFC fan. It's on me. He was like, I've never seen a black guy in a hood with the LFC jersey on, uh, hoodie on. And I, I was like, thanks a lot, dude. But it, it's so organic. It's amazing. I've never witnessed this before. It's with that same sentiment in mind that it brings us to our final question for you today. And that, sir, is what does shoulder to shoulder 
mean to you, Chris? So shoulder to shoulder is funny to me because as a trainer, our trainers are very interactive and we always start the day in a circle, right? We can't do anything without getting to the circle. And we have this really, really corny song called Shoulder to Shoulder. And I've probably sung that song in every major city in the United States at least a hundred times. And it was our way of coming together as a group, getting our, our, our marching orders and having a successful day, having a successful week because we have sometimes week long trainings, but also it was your way of feeling like you're present, you're heard, we're, so, we're all locked in shoulder to shoulder. Nobody's in front of each other, nobody's behind each other. We're all in it together. We're all on the same level. So whenever I hear shoulder to shoulder, that's what I think about. Uh, you're not gonna sing it for us? No, sir. <laughs> <laughs> We would like to thank you so much for coming on today's episode. Once again, our guest today has been Chris Reed. He is the executive director of the LAFC Foundation, the face of this franchise within the community out there doing good works, hopefully launching some really cool new things. You heard it here first, 50-50 raffle coming to the bank. Oh, yeah. Foundation table will be back later this season. You will get a chance to bid on all that stuff. The gala will be back and tons of other cool stuff. And you, I mean, you've only been here six months. Look at all this stuff you're getting done. That's putting in work. That's putting in work. I love to see it. Well, thank you again so much for being our guest today. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it. I had a great time. Folks, after this break, we will be right back with today's opponent correspondent. What's up, y'all? It's Sholo Mariduena, Miguel Diaz from Cobra Kai, and uh, you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Joining us this week is our opponent correspondent representing the Los Angeles Galaxy. We have Josh Guessman of Corner of the Galaxy podcast. You can find them at Galaxy Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, and their webpage is, of course, cornerofthegalaxy.com. Josh, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thanks for having me, guys. Always appreciate it. Back for another year exciting absolutely and i think that we're finally going to get the version of of the match that we had been waiting so long for the last two years since Zlatan Ibrahimovic had gone back to europe and they brought in chicharito we're finally hopefully going to get this matchup pending nobody gets hurt over the next three or four days i was gonna say you better knock on wood because it's funny there was one of the game that everybody looks at as like the worst setup ever was whenever steven gerrard was supposed to play frank lampard and all the posters were steven gerrard with the la galaxy frank lampard with new york city and like they were selling shirts and scarves and lampard and gerrard and the whole thing and then they were both injured and everyone showed up so you know i sort of feel like that it's hard to believe that both of these guys have been in the league for as long as they have chicharito joined in 2020 and We've never had a Vela. We've never had a Chicharito at the same time on the same field for these two teams. That's crazy to think about. Well, before we dive into the juiciness of that particular matchup and the other peripherals around this, we know that you've been covering the Galaxy for 14 years in the MLS. But for our fans that don't know your story, just give us a brief summary of your trip through the reporting world within the MLS and exactly how you cover the Galaxy and where folks could find you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cornerofthegalaxy.com is where you can find us. The way we started was somebody asked myself and and one of my former co-hosts, Jared Dubois, they said, hey, you guys should start a podcast. We were both doing this other podcast called Around the League at the time, which was very, very big deal in the early days of Major League Soccer, covered all the teams, had team correspondents, and Jared and I were both LA Galaxy correspondents for a very short amount of time. Somebody asked us to do a podcast. We said, that's a horrible idea. I've never even done podcasting. Jared does great stuff, but we both are like idea guys. We're not like, you know, get it done guys, the whole deal. So we tried it. It was horrible. Uh, We sent it in. They asked for another one the next week and, you know, we'll hit a thousand shows. I think this year, I think we're going to hit this thousand shows. We're about 75 away, but we do two weeks. So Mondays and Thursdays uh, live. So yeah, we're, we're getting there. Wow. That is a huge number. Congratulations on your upcoming one 
thousandth episode. That's that's quite a milestone. The average podcast lasts about 17. So you have outdone that by a wide margin, sir. Congratulations. Yeah, just be uh, obsessed and stupid enough to keep doing it every single week, almost regardless of what happens. Uh, pandemics, be damned, you know, not a problem. Uh, just work right through that as well. Well, it's definitely something that, you know, you had to start somewhere and, you know, we just had over a hundred at the end of last season. So it's uh, definitely, you know, just got to keep plugging away. Yeah. I was going to say, somebody would say, how did you get to a hundred? And it's, well, it's one at a time and you just keep going and eventually they add up. That's how a thousand happens too. So uh, just keep going. And in 14 years, you you too will hit a thousand shows. Absolutely. So let's talk about the Galaxy's offseason. There have been some big transfers out, some transfers in. Some of the big notable ones that had left the Galaxy were Sebastian Legit, U.S. Men's National Team player. He went on to go play for Bruce Arena, who he did play for originally when he came into the league from West Ham in New England. Ethan Zuback, one of your homegrown players, he now plays for Nashville. And Daniel Steris, who is now in Houston. Uh, some of the incoming players was Douglas Costa, who is on loan from Gremio, but uh, and he is currently injured. We may not see him in the match this weekend. Of course, Raheem Edwards, who the Black and Gold community know because he played for us last season, and he's actually doing quite well for the Galaxy with four assists, which, by the way, is the... Only other person to have more assists in six games is Landon Donovan. So that's something to kind of, I guess, tip your hat to if you're Raheem Edwards or a fan of the Galaxy. Midfielder, Marky Delgado. Uh, and of course, the last is uh, Kelvin Leardom, who is one of your right backs from Miami. Yeah, the, the departures, I think, were expected. So I don't think anybody was surprised. Sebastian Legette, it, it felt like Greg Vanny never really trusted what Sebastian Legette was going to do or for him to fit into the system. So him going to New England. I think for maybe a little bit less than people expected it to happen, but Bruce Serena was probably in his ear starting about summertime, you know, last year and making sure that that was going to go that direction. So Sebastian going, not a surprise. You know, you look at, at Steris, maybe was a little bit surprised. Zubak wasn't really a surprise. I mean, all those things were sort of expected and we knew about those pretty far in advance, but you know, you, you add to the roster, somebody like Kelvin Leardam who made his first appearance for the LA, first official appearance for the LA Galaxy in their win over Portland over the weekend, former Sounder. And just a really strong, good, dependable right back and sort of stepping in as Julian Araujo sort of figures out his life and uh, and how he's going to play soccer here for the for this year. Because uh, so far he has been playing great. Raheem Edwards was a huge pickup and I don't think anybody expected him to be as big of a pickup as he has been. But he's been a revelation so far through the first five games for the LA Galaxy. Really good in preseason, really good during the season. He's absolutely one of the ways that the offense gets started and, you know, just sort of continues to truck along. And uh, I, I think he's getting better. You can sort of see him finding more and more confidence and things. So pretty interesting to see that step forward. You talk about Mark Delgado as well. Again, a former, you know, Vanny guy, well as Raheem Edwards, who was also with Vanny earlier on in his career. So you had Mark Delgado in there who will be missing the LAFC match. He got a two yellow cards in the, the game against Portland. So he'll be missing. That'll be a huge, huge, huge loss for the LA Galaxy. I don't know that I can impress upon it. And somebody said, well, if you're worried about one guy on a team not playing, and then that really alters the way that you play, then you know, you're not much of a team. And I would argue that Mark Delgado has put himself in sort of this hub and spoke system where he helps to control so many things going forward and back that he is that important to the Celtic galaxy team. So that was sort of one to watch. And then uh, Douglas Costa, I think you're going to see him. I don't know if you're going to see him in, you know, full on starting mode, but Greg Vanny was pretty bullish on him coming in on Monday and sort of being a full training guy on Monday. So he had some hamstring tightness in the Orlando game, only made it to halftime, didn't play against Portland. And so he's basically had three weeks, three and a half weeks or so to, to rest up. But uh, so far he's shown some, some great things. And if he's healthy, then 
you know, he's somebody definitely to keep an eye on. Both of these teams were obviously disappointed with last season. LAFC decided to make wholesale changes, massive overturn of the roster. Galaxy instead went with just making a few tweaks. And many people were not high on them throughout the course of the offseason. But so far, the run of form throughout the course of this season, third place in the West, sixth place in Shield standings at the moment, three wins already and nine points on the season. You've got Chicharito sitting on four goals. What is the difference between the Galaxy of last season and the Galaxy of this season, despite not changing so much on the roster side of things, we've really seen a completely different team on the pitch. Yeah, some of it is the pieces they added. I would I would correct everything there and say that, you know, in 2021, the LA Galaxy had 17 new players, so they made the wholesale changes, you know, in that year. And so this is really year two of Greg Vanny's system. And so a lot of that is just familiarity. You can see certainly towards the end of 2021, the LA Galaxy were underperforming their XG. So they were creating the chances. They weren't scoring the goals. A lot of things were happening. They were playing well. They weren't getting the results. And we saw at the beginning of the 2021 season where they were outperforming that XG. They were winning games. They probably shouldn't have won. They were they were creating few chances but scoring all the goals so they were doing this thing so you saw this like this odd balance that happened over the course of 34 games in 2021 well the galaxy who started in 2022 are picking up basically right where they left off which is they're having the good performances maybe they're not always finishing their chances but they're creating a ton of chances they're looking dangerous they're controlling possession and i think if you look at somebody like mark delgado that's probably the biggest reason not a single team has come through them or passed through them or run through them this year Portland probably did the closest to that, and they lost three to one in that game. So you can sort of see some of these performances. The other thing is the LA Galaxy defense has always been suspect. Derek Williams just came back from injury. He made his first start for the LA Galaxy against Portland. Pretty solid. There's still a question about Sega Koulibaly and, and Nick Depew and who's going to play there. But the defense itself has given up one goal from the run of play this entire season. One of those set-piece goals was Tui Loma in the Portland game as well, and I don't care what you do, you're not stopping that shot that he put in. It was it was beautiful. So so that's not... You can say, oh, well, they gave up another set-piece goal, and it's sort of like, yeah, but you're not stopping that, so what are you going to do? Outside of that, there were three set-piece goals in the Seattle game. That was one of their worst losses, but again, nothing from the run of play. So they've allowed one goal from the run of play. It was to Orlando, and outside of that, the defense has been outstanding, which is a huge change for a Galaxy team that gave up untold number of goals and, and blew so many chances last year. So that's sort of been the change. There's this defense first mentality. There's certainly a lot of working back behind the ball and everybody knows each other. They've had a whole time to work out. They worked everything out for the year before and they're working in the pieces that they got this year. So uh, that familiarity and the second year of Vanny's system allows it to get a little more complicated, allows hopefully for, for a higher ceiling for them. So you mentioned you know, performance versus XG. And I think that's something that infuriated many of the LAFC fans last season when we consistently underperformed versus our XG. But in looking at some of the advanced statistics this season, the Galaxy are the number one team in all of MLS in passing in the offensive third and creating chances inside the box. Where do you think that statistic is coming from? And do you feel that it is a sustainable metric throughout the course of this season? I mean, it doesn't feel unsustainable yet. And and if you would watch them, you know, the, the big deal and the thing that I think we've been most critical about them talking to Greg Vanny about it, talking to Chicharito about it, is the finishing, which is, I'm really glad that you guys can pass well in the final third. I'm glad, glad that you can create chances, but where's that finish? Where's the knocking the ball in the back of the net? Because they've been missing that. So as much as the passing has come, and I think the Galaxy are a possession-based team. 
Now, Greg and I may have a disagreement on whether that's the best for them or not. I actually think the Galaxy play better on a counterattack. I did last year. I still think that's the case. But their possession has been much better this year in terms of creating chances. Last year, possession for possession's sake would drive Greg crazy, drove everybody crazy. This year, a little bit more finished product there, right? They're they're making that and they're creating chances. They're able to break stuff down. I'm not saying they can defeat a low block yet because Orlando put them in a low block and they couldn't, they couldn't handle that at all. But they're starting to see that. So quite honestly, Raheem Edwards is probably one of the biggest reasons that they are so successful in the final third. His speed, his ability to cut inside, his distribution from those spots as well causes a whole bunch of problem. Ryan Ravellison pressing forward a little bit more and getting into the attack side of things, less of a six, more of an eight now into that box is, is one of the reasons they're a little, little bit better in that. And I would say that Kevin Cabral and uh, Kevin Cabral, LA Galaxy fans hate Kevin Cabral. He is the best and worst player in almost every single game. Um, and that's really annoying because you can't be both of those things at the same time, except Kevin Cabral has figured that out. He puts himself in unbelievably good positions. He has speed to stretch defenses. He's one of the few guys on the LA Galaxy who can stretch a defense. And then he has absolutely zero finishing ability whatsoever ever in the history. And it doesn't matter if you're six inches from the goal line or 16 yards from the goal line. So if he figures that out, He's going to be dangerous. He had a very good game in Portland, still didn't score a goal, but was involved in a lot of stuff there. So, the, you know, there's all these things that are sort of adding up. But if you're going to put it down to anything, the reason that they've been so successful in the final third is one, Chicharito scores goals inside the box. And two is that their possession-based game has gotten a little bit more to the finishing part of all of this. Shifting gears real fast, you know, in the most recent two matches, the match that happened at the Bank of California in the summer and then the match that happened at Disney Hell Sports Park in October, there was fan violence. What was your opinion of the joint statement that the Galaxy and LFC had put out about fan safety for this match? Yeah, I, I think it was necessary. I think that they have to do something. I'm not sure that that solves all the problems, right? You can't just put a video together and say, oh, well, there it is. You can't get Jonathan Bond speaking Spanish and all of a sudden everything's fine, which I think was sort of the biggest fun takeaway from LA Galaxy fans on that. But I mean, you know, you got your big names out there. You talked about it. You said, hey, we're serious about it. Now, Here's the problem with all of that is that I think security has been more than lacking on many occasions and which regardless of which stadium it is. And two is it only takes one moron to ruin everything, right? And so it's it's very difficult to sort of say, oh, well, there's going to be zero problems. It's so far away from me. And I understand people and the passions run hot. I like the atmospheres that are sort of bred inside the stadiums. There's a different electricity to these games. There's a heartbeat to these games. There's an intensity to it. I love all of that. But at the end of the day, I'm more of a soccer should be fun and you should be able to take your family to it and you should be able to have a good time and you shouldn't have to worry about all that. And I think both sides have failed that multiple times over the years. I'm glad they did it. I don't know that it's going to have much of an effect. I absolutely agree. I was at the game at uh, Disney Hill Sports Park and I was there with my two sons. And as we're leaving at the very end of the match, you know, we are able, we were able to get around the berm where the grass field is right behind uh, the Victoria block. And, you know, luckily we were able to walk through there, but you know, two or three minutes later, after we'd walked through, that was when the scuffle had happened. And, you know, I had people ask you like, Oh, are you going to go to the game this weekend? And it's like, no, nah, you know, I'm going to, I just decided that I'm going to just stay home and watch it just because it's like, I don't want to take my family necessarily just yet. Yeah. I want to make sure that there is some changes that have been made. Well, I mean, you know, and that's sort of the thing is that I know certainly at uh, Bank of California Stadium that you can't walk back behind, you know, 3252. That should be the same, you know, for the LA Galaxy. They have said that that should be the same. I'll be honest, there's, you know, the security issue is something that you could probably talk about for a couple hours, because I think it's so undervalued and what you have to do and how you need to do it. And you can 
do things that are positive that keep people just you just need to give people room you need to keep people separated up and then you need to get them out in the parking lots and into their cars and and do all that stuff because like i said i would love to pretend that we're all here to have fun and and watch soccer but the bottom line is that one moron on either side starts a fight and it's going to go and so yeah it, it's necessary security needs to be beefed up and and hopefully everybody's paying attention whether that's at uh dignity health sports park this week or, or bank of california whenever that game gets played as well it, it it needs to be a focus and people need to be trained about it they need to understand no absolutely not you cannot let people wearing this color through this section just make them go around and push things the other way and that's fine people understand that i don't think that's an inconvenience it's just there needs to be some forethought put into this and sometimes i feel like you know they just would rather blame fans for these things when they don't really provide the structure to protect people either so you know some of that stuff again i think everybody should just hold hands and sing kumbaya um, during most of the stuff, but I enjoyed, like I said, I enjoy the atmosphere. It's it's something special, and I think it'll continue to be special. I'm, I'm hopeful it'll continue to be very isolated incidents. I think we speak for both podcasts here, and I don't mean to put words in your mouth, Mr. Gessman, but I think both of us firmly agree that there is a difference between passion and animosity, and 100%. we we encourage passion in, in all forms, but animosity violence has no place in this game. And I don't care if you're an LAFC supporter or a Galaxy supporter, if you're involved in any of the unsavory details that have plagued these rivalries throughout the course of the past five seasons. I hope that there are stern consequences for those people, and I hope that the operations are in place to ensure that we avoid any opportunity for those kind of incidents. And uh, it has no place in this game. Violence is an unacceptable thing, and, and we have seen all too recently in Mexico exactly what can happen if these things get out of control and none of us ever want to be placed in that situation as as my co-host chris intimated when he brought his young children to a game and feared for their safety no one ever wants to see that here in los angeles and i, I think we all agree that there is a, a much higher road and a higher path to take here with regards to these kinds of incidents and uh it really, it, it, it's, it's pretty simple. Control your drinking and behave yourself. And those two things go hand in hand. And uh, look, as, as the sommelier on this podcast and, and, and the boozeologist, as, as <laughs> you know, as I'm sitting here, you know, sipping on some peated Irish whiskey while we're recording this, you know, I'll be the first to advocate responsibility with your drinking and, and be responsible for your actions, regardless of what you've been drinking. And uh, I, I think that, especially in the case of this particular derby, is is all too important. But shifting gears uh, away from that, uh, not to to dwell too long on on that one particular point. We've seen 13 iterations of of this particular derby, uh, as we like to refer to it, El Clasico Angelino. It, it, it bears a number of other monikers within the media as well. El Trafico. Uh, you could say it. You could say it. it's perfectly fine. Um, yeah. It is catchy. I will give it that. I like El Clasico Angelino. It has a ring to it that that to me is a bit more elevated. And as we are trying to elevate the actions of fans, perhaps uh, a title would help in that regard. So, um, excuse me. Uh, so 13 times we've played Galaxy currently sit on five wins. LAFC sit on three wins. We have five ties. Each team has scored exactly 29 goals. LAFC have one sole victory in the regular season. Uh, two postseason are well, if you count the MLS Cup as back tournament as, as a postseason tournament two tournament victories i guess with all of that optics in mind what do you expect from this particular iteration of the los angeles derby craziness it's always comes down to craziness i don't know how it, this is uh you know i, I growing up in sort of the, the college football rivalry, you know, headspace, which was, oh, well, it's a rivalry game. You never know what to expect. Yes. And, and now put that on steroids because that's what these, these games have been. 
you know, it's super even. It always has been even. The games have been very even whenever you watch them. The fact that the Galaxy have more wins is is frankly a little surprising in some cases. The fact that, the, the fact that you know, LAFC has never beaten the LA Galaxy at Dignity Health Sports Park is surprising. I'm one of these people who always says, you know, you, uh, it's sort of like a roulette wheel logic, which is, you know, if you, if you keep hitting black, eventually, you know, the next one's red, right? Every time it hits black in a row, you're like, the next one's definitely going to be red. So I don't like streaks because to me, streaks indicate that there is a correction coming somewhere in there. And so I think there's a correction coming. And I, I think there has been, I think LAFC has gotten off to a ridiculously good start. I think they play fast. I, the problem is this game's going to play into both of the Galaxies and LAFC strengths. The Galaxy are going to want to possess the ball and they're going to control the ball and they're going to want to create the tempo and they're going to want to try to pass the ball into the back of the net, which is good. And LAFC will want to counter and use their speed on the wings and try to test, you know, in behind Raheem Edwards and in behind Julian Araujo or, or Kelvin Leardam if he's playing there. And both of those play to the strengths of these two teams. So it's a slugfest then. I never know how to pay any attention to these games. And no matter what form anybody is in, it so far has not mattered. You know, home field advantage has mattered, I think, a little more than anything else. But even that, I mean, flip a coin. This could easily be a 1-1 draw, a 6-6 draw, or, you know, some lopsided, ridiculous 5-1 win for either team. And at this point, I'm having done this multiple times. So like you said, this 13 times, now 14 times. I'm tired of trying to predict this game. I just know that it's going to be crazy. It's going to be loud. It's going to be fun. And it's going to be on, you know, Big Fox. That, to me, has all the ingredients for something crazy going on. One thing that LAFC fans have hung their hat on in the conversations preceding this particular version of El Clásico Angelino is that they feel the depth of this LAFC team is an advantage going into this one particular derby. And obviously, sitting on a red card, you're going to be short a man going into this game as it is. Do you think depth is going to play a factor? And do you feel that the LAFC fans' belief that their bench is deeper is in fact true? Or perhaps is that just them looking at the world through a black and gold tinted lens? I mean, I always say that the people who watch the games, you know, watch your games on a regular basis are going to have a better opinion of that than I am. I'll tell you right now that I've been impressed. I, I thought the, the Orlando game was probably the most impressive game that LAFC has played so far. And to me, just going on the road and anytime you travel across, you know, three or four time zones in order to play and then you get there and Orlando is a difficult to break down team. I don't think they're playing well, but they're not playing horribly. And when you go to their home and you do that and you're able to pick them apart, especially in the second half, I mean, that that leads you to that depth piece, right? That leads you to the fact that LAFC, for whatever reason, are able to turn the tide in the game. They scored two goals in the first half, two goals in the second half and really took Orlando out of that game. So I think that LAFC right now think that that depth and certainly their ability to adjust and to extend into second halves is going to be a big part of that. And I think that the LA Galaxy are at a disadvantage right now. I think with the injuries that they have with, with Mark Delgado on suspension, with Douglas Costa possibly playing in this game, possibly not playing in this game, you know, that's a, those are big questions marks for the Galaxy. I, I would love, if this was a normal game, I would say that that might prove something out and that might make it more of an even game just because of home field advantage. But this isn't a normal game. It's a rivalry game, uh, the likes of which uh, Los Angeles is just sort of starting to wrap their heads around. And that may mean absolutely nothing. But it's it certainly, I think for LAFC, you should feel good about the way that you're coming into this game. Absolutely. So let me ask you your opinion. And we had briefly spoken about this before we actually started recording. We're finally going to get the match of Carlos Vela versus Chicharito, right? And when this happened, you know, LAFC had Carlos Vela and Zlatan and there was that rivalry and there was, you know, the perfect villain for both team and fan bases. 
it seems like this, the fact that both of them are countrymen and that they have a working relationship with each other, it's almost like it is just like a, a brother rivalry as opposed mm-hmm. to an actual like um, animosity that was that was had in the first two seasons of this rivalry. So what are some of your expectations in if in the event that, you know, both players do play and they are healthy? What are some of your expectations in seeing between Chicharito and Velo finally play against each other? You know, you know, Chicha has is is a different guy in the last two years, just in terms of his his life outlook. Uh, we we also often say that whenever you listen to Chicharito speak, you go to the church Chicharito to to worship. Right. He's going to tell you some life, life things, life quotes within any question that you ask him. He doesn't like talking about himself and individuals and stuff like that. So. I would be surprised if you saw anything from him outside of just being the team player that he is. He's 100% the best team player on that team, and he will tell you that he's the best team player on that team, and, and he doesn't care if he scores all the goals. He's not going to care. He doesn't care if he scores zero goals and scores three goals as long as the as long as long the LA Galaxy win, right? That is, that is a Chicharito 2021-2022 version. Having said that, I would be surprised if there isn't just a little bit of an edge to those two. Maybe there's a little like, you know, handbags at at 40 paces after a a slide tackle or something. And Chicharito comes there and he goes after Carlos a little bit and he pushes him or Carlos pushes Chicha. They know each other. They know that they're not going to kill each other, but it doesn't mean that they're not going to sit there and be like, well, I'm going to push you right now because one, I know you're not going to kill me and I know you're not going to get, but we're going to get into this and we're going to hold on to each other. And you know, that type of thing. I feel like both of them understand the leadership that that projects for this game. I'm super interested to see it because it's a really, really different dynamic than a lot of things that we do. They are friends. He's always said they're friends. He talks, you know, Chicharito will talk very well about Carlos anytime he talks to talks about him. I feel like they probably love each other very much. They seem like they're that, that's how I think you said brothers. I think that's probably pretty close with sort of how they do it. That being said, I feel like there's going to be a little distance. There's going to be a little standoff, a little push, a little, you stay over there. I'm going to stay over here. And if we get close to each other, then we're going to have to show you know something here. So I think they're both going to be all for their teams. I think it's super exciting, though, whenever you have two marquee players, two Mexican stars like this in Los Angeles that are going to be showing off. I mean, hopefully that puts a lot of eyes on these uh, on these on this team and on these players and on this game, because I think this is one of the biggest games in all of Los Angeles. You can't tell me that a Lakers Clippers game is going to be bigger than this. You can't tell me that a Kings Ducks game is going to be bigger than this. You can't tell me that a Dodgers Angels game is going to be bigger than this. They just they're not even close. They're not even on the same level. They don't exist in the same universe in some different plane, perhaps maybe in a, in a completely alternate universe. Dodgers and Angels have have some have a, a tenth of that so this is this is huge and i i hope it's a spectacle i hope that it's entertaining i hope that it draws the numbers i hope it does everything that everybody wants to do and i'm always excited for these games you know and i think carlos vela we talked about this a little bit this could be his last one this could be his only one right this could be the only time he ever gets to face chicharito with lafc and la galaxy this could be the last time because he's not guaranteed to be be here past you know basically the summer or the end of june and so the next you know game between these two teams might not happen with those two guys there. So this could be it. So if it's it, hopefully it goes out with the bank. I sincerely hope it lives up to the billing. We've been waiting so long for the Chicharito versus Vela. And if they both end up scoring a hat trick and this game ends 3-3, I think everybody will go home happy. Right? I I, I mean, you couldn't ask for more. No, no. You you want your big stars to be big stars, right? And when the spotlight is on, you want them to shine. And my argument has always been in Los Angeles that if you want a winning team, if you want a successful team, not just winning team, but a successful team, you need the star power, you need the winning. These guys both bring the star power. 
now it shows the winning. So show the winning. This is this is the time. So make it make it one of those games that everybody has to talk about on Sunday. Well, we've asked you to look retrospectively at this team. We've asked you to look introspectively at this particular matchup. Now we're asking for you to project a little bit. What do you see this Galaxy team doing beyond this next match versus LAFC throughout the course of the end of this regular season and postseason beyond. What are your expectations and predictions for this team this year? Yeah, they're a playoff team. I mean, they were a playoff team last year. So, you know, they, they didn't make it, but they they had the, they had the same number of points. They should have been there. And quite honestly, the collapse they had in the, the last third of the season should have never happened. A one point anywhere along like 15 games gets them into, you know, the playoffs and above RSL. And again, if RSL doesn't cheat in the playoffs and use a handball in order to stop a shot, um, then, you know, hey, the Galaxy are in the playoffs too. All that being said, this is a playoff team. This is a team that should be in the top three or four in the Western Conference. And I know it's sort of shuffling around right now, which has me nervous. I don't like the teams that are below the line right now in the Western Conference because you're sort of sitting there going, hey, Seattle, Portland, like Sporting Kansas City, those guys, you know, there's some pretenders up there in the Western Conference right now, and you don't know who that is yet. I have some ideas, but you're sort of sitting there going, okay, but who's going to shuffle down? And we were even positing on our pockets, well, maybe the Galaxy are pretenders this year. Maybe that they're above the line right now. Are they a pretender? I don't think that's the case. This is a playoff team. I think they're a top four team in the Western Conference. I think Greg Vanny continues to sort of build out this, this game plan that he has and, and work this magic that he has that he did at Toronto. I like the style of play that they're playing. I like the possession up to a certain point. I like the ability to counter. I like the speed that they have in some places. I think they can get a little deeper in, in the center of midfield. Doing all that and going through the summer and finding the one hole that you really need to plug and getting a TAM player sort of in there to do that, I think elevates this team even further. So um, for me, a playoff team, if they were in the Western Conference Finals, it wouldn't surprise me. If they were in the Western Conference Finals against LAFC, wouldn't surprise me. And perhaps that's an MLS Cup. Maybe that's the MLS Cup matchup because for as many people tell me the Eastern Conference is better, I just still don't believe them. So whatever they want to make up and tell themselves to help them sleep at night. And with the New York offices of MLS soccer over there on the East Coast, it doesn't surprise me. But the Eastern Conference was not the better conference last year, despite the fact that New York City ended up beating Portland in that final. It was weak and they have weak teams and they, they don't have to travel as far and they're gifted a lot of positives on the eastern conference that are, that are negatives on the western conference so yeah for me playoffs and and an advancement in the playoffs not just uh not just one and done well you heard it here first your western conference championship preview upcoming this weekend galaxy versus lafc we we could not be more gracious of your time and joining us sir we appreciate you. Once again, our opponent correspondent this week has been Josh Gessman from Corner of the Galaxy Podcast. You can follow them at Galaxy Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find them at cornerofthegalaxy.com online. Josh, thank you so much for coming and joining us. We sincerely appreciate it, sir. Gentlemen, good luck this weekend. Thanks for having me. Uh, uh, we'll, uh, we'll catch back up later this year. And best of luck to you, too. We'll catch back up with you in July. And with that, folks, we'll be right back after this break with our predictions for the upcoming match. Hey, this is John Thorrington, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. All right, gentlemen, we've heard from our guest. We've heard from our opponent correspondent. We've had a chance to hear the Galaxy side of things as to how they think this is going to play out. Now it is time for us to talk about Derby Week. All right, Chris, I know you're, you're like biting at bit here to, to go ahead and dive into it so my friend take us away what do you think is going to happen in this our first and only trip of the season 
down to the bigs. I think it's going to be great for us. I think that we are going to start off the Steve Terundolo LAFC era with a W in Dignity Health Sports Park. And it's going to be it's going to be an amazing match. There's a lot of firsts. Obviously, we had just heard about how Chicharito is playing well. Carlos Vela is playing well. This is the first time we're going to see them playing together with injuries and COVID and the MLS is back and what have you. That we're finally getting to see the match and we're finally getting to see our two clubs with the, the marquee players and the faces of our clubs face off against each other. I think that there are going to be a lot of torn Mexican national team fans during this match. And I think that we're going to get our win. We have definitely been looking to get this win in the Galaxy Stadium. We haven't had it done before. I think that our team is is firing on all cylinders as well as we could be. And uh, I think it's going to be just a, a continuation of the positive form that we've been playing so far. Predict the uh, 3-2 victory. And I think what's going to be different about this game is I don't think we're going to dictate the possession like in previous seasons. And I, you know, that's what's what my main takeaway has been so far uh, in the first five games and the team can play well with the ball without the ball. I think defensively our transitions weren't as good with Orlando, but I think we're going to have a full week with all the the players here um, and not having to concentrate and getting qualification to the world cup. I think it's going to be a solid game plan. I do feel for whatever reason, at least defensively, apart from the last match, the club has been more prepared I think more situationally aware and there's been a few lessons in the last couple matches in terms of set pieces and not starting on the front foot for the beginning of the match. And I think that's going to be key, um, not getting behind early because then you're chasing the game. So I think if we could weather the storm the first 10, 15 minutes, I'm going to feel even better about the game early on, but I still think we have the firepower. You can see in a, in a blink of an eye, we can put passes together and, and strike. We could be from midfield in the 18-yard box and being able to put balls on goal. And the last thing I'll say is our keeper. Our keeper is really good, and I think he's been showing his keep. I think he kept us from either drawing or or even losing the game in Orlando. So I think uh, he's going to keep us organized, and we're going to do well. I think Chicho's going to finally score. I think Vela's going to score. He always feels like he scores in the – Derby matches, and um, I think Raito is going to pull something out of the hat again. And um, I hope Chicharito doesn't score, but it's unlikely that that happens. And the other the other thing I why I feel confident about my prediction is slightly unnoticed and kind of in garbage time for the Galaxy against Portland game, but Marky Delgado got a red card, and he's one of their starters in the midfield. I think they're going to really miss him, giving them some stability and defending and uh, shielding that back line. So I think we're going to kind of revel in that missing piece for them. I think Ilie, Acosta, and Sif are going to kind of break that little piece apart and be able to find the, the right pockets to put our forwards and wingers in the position to be able to score and cause some damage. This is an interesting Galaxy team this year because despite not making a significant amount of upgrades to their defense, their defense has been significantly better. And whether that's simply they were just a small tweak away from fixing the problem or whether we have yet to see that problem really present itself up until now, you have to tip your cap to them. Their defense has played particularly well. Can they be beaten? Of course, we've seen that already this season. However, we're still talking about a team that's currently sitting third place in the West, sixth place in the Shield. 
they're not having a terrible start to their season either. You know, Chicharito tied with Vela for a league lead in goals at the moment. They're certainly getting performance out of their star. And, and what concerns me right now is, statistically speaking, the Galaxy are the best team at passing inside the offensive third, and especially inside the box. And we have currently seen in our last couple games a few moments in which our defensive assignments have not been there. And frankly, had it not been for some poor passing by Orlando and some of the other teams that we faced in the box, we could have certainly had a much worse scenario in the past few games. So I, I do have some concerns about our defense inside the box and leaving players wide open like we've seen in the course of the past couple games. And the Galaxy's statistical ability so far this season to execute those passes in that moment and find those players. Now, that is a red flag for me and something I'm concerned about. And, and I definitely do not anticipate LAFC keeping a clean sheet in this game as a result, especially facing them in their stadium. And what I'm sure will be a good atmosphere. We know we have a healthy contingent of 3252 that will always go. The away section will always be filled up. Word on the street is that uh, LAFC fans will probably be gathered in the same area for their safety as well, too. So much like the 3252, there will be a designated area for groups of LAFC fans as well. That should kind of unite everyone together and bring the energy level and the noise level up a little bit. So I'm expecting it to be a good game. I definitely have to agree with you, Christian. The red card is a big deal. That definitely gives us an advantage in the midfield. Uh, and our offensive attack is stacked. Whether we're talking about Arango, Vela, Raito, or even if we're going back to the likes of the Ismail Tijori Shradis or the Quadro Mahala Opokus of the world, I'm confident that we're five deep up top there. And I, I do think that's going to be a factor late in this game. And I think we are going to be able to outsub them and try and grind this one out if we can keep them from building up a lead early and if we can find a goal early that's that's massive in any game but I really think we have the chance in the latter stages of this game to really separate ourselves from them and separate ourselves from the league and I, I do think it's not going to be a particularly low scoring affair uh, I think this might have a chance to be another 4-2 game 5-3 game as we often see versus the Galaxy they are particularly high scoring affairs and I would not be surprised if we saw something like that. But again, it's just a matter of depth. And their team, as good as it is in its first 11, with a red card and them having to be forced into substitutions, I just do not think that they have the depth to compete with our depth. And I do think this game might be decided in the 70th to 90th minute. But that is the case where LAFC are probably going to separate themselves from this Galaxy team. And I, I too feel that it's our turn. Five years, we're finally going to get our first road win away at Carson. And I think the game's going to finish 5-3 or 4-2 to LAFC. And, and that's my prediction. Gentlemen, have any final thoughts here before we wrap up the show? Yeah, I got a quick question for you guys. I was just perusing social media as you were, you know, mentioning about what you're expecting for the game. And I came across this 110 football tweet and it asked for LAFC's best front three. And I read it and I was like, oh, I think this is a pretty good question. I'd like to see what your guys' opinion is. So right now, uh, 110 football gives three options for LA's best front three. We've got Vela, Chicho, and Rodriguez. Or we've got Vela and Mahala and Rodriguez. Or we've got Vela and Chicho and Mahala. For this match specifically, or are you just saying in general? Give me both. Why not? If they're different answers, give me both. For this match, I think Chicho, Raito, and Carlos. And the reason I say that is Chicho's hold-up play is, I think, going to be important, especially if we're not able to possess. 
as well. And then also having the depth that Jonathan was talking about, having Opoku and Tajuri Shroudy give us that last 20, 30 minutes while they have tired legs, I think is a better strategy for this match. I think we have such a deep forward line core that you can almost make a different call per game with probably not being able to sit Raito and Vela unless they're injured. But in the center with Chicho Poku and Shroudy coming in uh, can can kind of fill in the shoes. So those those for this match specifically, also you want you want the top players, the ones who are paying getting paid the most to be able to perform. And I'm sure Chicho is being putting himself in the position to be able to be the starter. And I think that's why he got the starting minutes in the last game, so that he got some of that match fitness, getting those jitters, those cobwebs as a starter off, so that he can come in and play at the Galaxy match. The answer is in the very first goal we scored against Orlando. Vela to Chicho to Raito. Goal of the season so far for LAFC. That was the most electric, dynamic, precise moment we have seen in the offensive third this year. And and if we get a performance like that, it's game over. LAFC are going to run away with this game. But it's those flashes of brilliance that have marked them as the starting front three, and they need to be the starting front three. And I I can't agree more with what Christian said. Chicho being the bigger, stronger player is exactly the person you want early in the game. Mahala with his speed and dynamism is exactly who you want late in a game. Uh, It's not broke. We don't need to fix it. Chicho, Vela, Raito, that is your starting three. This year, we don't have the bull in the china shop of Dio to come in. We have the electric quick movement of a Mahala. We have, you know, the precision in the engine of a Tajuri Shradi. Both of those are fantastic pieces to come in late in the game, but I don't think they're going to start barring injury uh, or setback to any of those players. It has to be those front three to start. And if one of them is not finding themselves in the game, then you have perfect replacements that can step in in any place there. But no, it's absolutely 100% has to be Raito. Vela and Chicho. I have to agree. I have to agree. I think that especially for this game, Chicho Arango has definitely had a presence in both of the derby matches that he participated in last season. He took that penalty back when Carlos was injured in the match in August. I think that, uh, and, and Brian Rodriguez, by all means too, that beautiful goal that he had at the bank last season. I, I mean, it is, this is a match where the big players have stepped up in the past and I believe that they are going to step up again and uh, I'm looking forward to it I think that it's going to be a great match brilliant Uh, shouts to the folks at 110 football we appreciate you and your contribution by throwing a question at us there good find Chris and uh, big ups to our friends at 110 please support all their programs they're putting out some really great stuff the expansion mansion their MLS coverage show is something I think the fans of this league have been begging for for so long a show that covers the entire league and does so with clips and, and videos and is not, you know, just a podcast or a call-in show. I mean, they do interact with the fans as well too, but I, I really like what they're doing from an MLS wide. And then, you know, their LAFC content is great as well too, but shouts to the folks at 110 and Connor for coming on our last episode. Go back and give that a listen. And he gave us a shout out in the last stream in the last match. So big ups to him 
for giving us a shout out. Yes, we love the folks at 110 Football. All right, folks, that's going to go ahead and wrap us up for episode 113. Once again, we would like to thank Chris Reed, the executive director of the LAFC Foundation, for joining us, and to Josh Gessman as well, too, for crossing enemy lines and representing the Galaxy and Corner of the Galaxy podcast. You can follow them at Galaxy Podcast. And, of course, you can follow the LAFC Foundation at LAFC Foundation. You can follow Shoulder to Shoulder at LAFC S2S on all your social media platforms. If you ever want to join us on the show and tell your black and gold story, please reach out to us through any of those social media platforms. We'd love to hear from you and get you on the show. But with that, that's going to go ahead and wrap us up for episode 113. On behalf of myself, Jonathan, Chris, Christian, and the legend, sound engineer Wilton, we'd like to thank you all for listening. And with that, take us home, sticks. Shoulder to shoulder. Together, this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's, Koreatown Liddy. Cape us old mommy, about to drop her fifth. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.